With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here are your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. My name is Nina Pantic and I'm joined by my co-host, Irina Falcone. Hey guys. We're back with another episode of Inside Tennis. And on this episode, we're going to cover a few trending topics and things that have come up in the past week or so, um, including Taylor Swift and World Team Tennis that are indeed connected. Uh, the recent increase in U.S. Open prize money and just prize money in general, and with John Isner and Kevin Anderson making college tennis great again, we're going to talk about our own college tennis experiences and how going to school first can actually be a stepping stone to pro success. Well, first off, I just have to say Taylor Swift and World Team Tennis. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard those two words together unless it was in reference to the time that I was playing for World Team Tennis at the Boston Lobsters team. And we went to watch Taylor Swift. It was uh, that was a pretty fun time, wasn't it? That's basically what my connection was gonna be. Yeah. So in twenty <laughs> in twenty fifteen, back when Taylor Swift was uh, the nineteen eighty nine album, we went to the concert in near, near Boston. Basically, we were covering World Team Tennis and the Boston Lobsters, a, t- a team that does not exist anymore, sadly. Very sad. Unfortunately, <laughs> the funding is very very tough when it comes to a World Team Tennis. Uh, team but in light of all that i think that we got two new fans after that concert yeah okay so gamble was the boston lobsters coach and he wasn't that into the idea of going and driving like 45 minutes to go to taylor swift concert and by the end of it he was calling her a national treasure that needs to be protected and it was absolutely epic an epic transformation (laughs) i'm sure he's gonna appreciate it if he listens to this uh But yeah, I just remember him saying, you know, that he didn't understand the commotion. He didn't understand all the excitement. But I think after the show, he realized what a treasure she really is. Yeah. And this is relevant because I went to concert uh, this weekend. So that's why it was it was on my mind. uh, Taylor Swift. And the last time I went to Taylor Swift concert was because of World Team Tennis, which also is happening right now. We're in the midst of the season. It's like the 43rd season. Uh, For those who don't know what it is, it's a big team concept founded by pioneer Billie Jean King. It's a lot of fun and it's really, really different than any other sporting event I think out there. But Irina played for the Boston Lobsters for a few years and you know, what's that experience like um, as a player that has to kind of manage, I mean it's middle of the summer, so you're managing schedule and you're managing trying to fit in these more fun team events while you're in the middle of a huge U.S. hardcore swing. How's that like? I think, firstly, I I have to say World Team Tennis is one of the coolest things I ever did. Just because on the Pro Tour, you're playing for you, yourself, and nobody else. Obviously, you want to do well for your team, your family, your friends, but it's only you out there. 
the whole team concept, I went to college, I, I was at Georgia Tech, and so we were very team-oriented, you know, we, we kept on saying go Jackets in the middle of practice, and that was just so much fun to, uh, to, to participate in the Boston Lobsters team, and I played my first season, my first full season, I believe six years ago, and I will admit I had never been so tired after those three weeks, <laughs> uh, it's completely and uh, it's utterly and completely draining, both physically and emotionally, because you want to do so well, not only for yourself, but you're playing for an entire team and the fans are out there. They're coming for you. And the very first time I played, it was super interesting because all of our matches were in the evening. So if you wanted to practice, if you wanted to get some point play, you had to make sure that you got it done and still had time to rest and eat and get a massage, get treatment if you needed before the match. And not only that, for example, let's say in the format you have women's singles, men's singles, women's doubles, men's doubles, and a mixed doubles event. So if you played women's singles first and you played women's doubles at the end, you literally had a window where you had to make sure you were both warm and ready to go, but at the same time, you wanted to stay a little fresh and on your feet and not get too stiff. It, it was such a interesting balance of making sure to stay fresh and be ready for the next day when you had to travel to another city and perform again. It's one of the most unique events in our sport, I think, and it's one of the the most fun to go to as as fans, as little kids who get to go and the I mean the court's different colors, as you said there's there's mixed doubles, there's doubles, there's singles, and there's such a wide array of players, you know, lower rank players, unknown players, some college players and then like some top stars. I think it's great for kids. I think it's fun. And and as, as for me when I was covering it, I got to experience the VIP aspect where we went to Taylor Swift as VIPs, but also seeing how the players were treated kind of like gods, kind of like rock stars by the fans, by the tournament or, or the event organizers, by the coaches, by everyone involved. It's one it's really a lot of fun. And it's something that's going on right now. There's uh, six teams this year, you know, everywhere from California to New York, and it's something that is great for the players for matches, or in some cases maybe a little bit too great as it's exhausting, but also they get paid pretty well, and I think that's a pretty big incentive, wasn't it? Absolutely. To be able to go out there and know that you're getting a really nice check, whether you're playing just one match or you're playing the entire season. I know I have played both an entire season and have come in as a substitution kind of player and I was happy with both circumstances one because it, with one of them I was able to actually play an entire season get used to my teams get used to the format and in the other aspect of it let's say I lost early in a tournament and I get a call, hey, do you want to substitute for a match tomorrow in California? I see that you are in California right now. Can you come? Absolutely. Knowing that I'm going to have a day of practice anyway, why not get paid for it? Yeah. I mean, a guaranteed paycheck is something very rare in tennis. Usually you have to win uh, probably a lot of matches to get a lot of money. Um, but there is some good news on that front. The U.S. Open recently announced it is going to be breaking more records for prize money. We'll have the biggest prize money purse in tennis history of 53 million total. Um, but for a lot of players, actually, as important is the $54,000 first round check. I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? It's changed quite a bit since you turned pro. If you win, you get $93,000, which is just mind blowing to some people to think that you have to just win 
one tennis match and have close to a hundred thousand dollars holy cow that's a lot of money i remember i sound like an old timer saying this but i remember seven years ago or eight years ago when i played my first u.s open i lost in the first round of the main draw and i think i walked away with like nineteen thousand dollars or something and that was including per diem that was including all my rackets being uh strung and everything and I was the happiest girl ever. I mean, I had never been so excited about a paycheck. That was my biggest paycheck at that time. And to see just eight years later, to it almost triple, that is just, that's amazing for the sport. That just fires me up. I, the other day, someone asked me, like, oh, how do you feel about the prize money? I was like, how do you not feel good about it? It's only, it can only go up at this point. And it really fires me up. I'm going to be in the U.S. Open qualifying this year. And even in the qualifying, the money is still outrageously good. I mean, if you win one match in the qualifying, you're close to what you would have made in the main draw if you lost first round eight years ago. So the disparity is, it's just, it's really exciting for a player, whether you're in the qualifying or in the main draw. And it's a great incentive. To know that I can win three matches and get $54,000, that's just, uh, that really fires me up. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> and compared to, to when you're playing other tournaments, so the Grand Slams are, are four times a year, and that paycheck, I mean, let's say you're a main draw player guaranteed accent, I mean, you're ranked like 92 in the world, you're going to play all four. Does that carry your entire year? Does that pay for your entire travel for the full year? How important are those four major appearances? Absolutely. I'm just going to break it down for people that really don't know about how much money is spent on the tour. So let's say you're going to New York from Europe. You're spending, let's say, a grand on a flight. You're spending a grand on your coach's flight. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you knew this, but hotels in New York are pretty expensive. That whole living in New York City thing, it can get very costly at times. So you're looking at, let's say, a week stay at the minimum in New York City with a hotel that's decent. You know, you may see one cockroach, but you're still going to be okay. You're still going to be able to sleep. I mean, you're looking at 10 grand easily just on flights and just on hotels. That's not including how much you're paying your coach, but just you have to break it down to where how much money are you really making obviously you're still going to come out on top if you have $54,000 coming in uh, so that is just to know that you have $200,000 for the year being main draw that's a great incentive and that's 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 what a lot of girls play for to know that they can be taken care of and they can go to the next tournament and they can pay for a good decent coach to travel with them yeah many tournaments around the year you're going to maybe pocket anywhere from 1000 10000 even if you were to win it and then you hear about this US Open 53 million i mean the prize money is just outrageous and it's just so exciting but at the same time it doesn't really paint the most truthful picture i think cuz a lot of weeks you're not you're not taking home that kind of money absolutely whenever i tell people uh, when they ask me when people ask me where i'm going next and i say whether it's a Back in the day, it was a $50,000 event or a $25,000 event. Even a $100,000 event, they look at you and they think that the winner gets $100,000, which is so not the case because 
it's probably closer from thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars, and that's not including your expenses, and that's not including the tax that's coming up. Yeah, it's not including pretty much the the reality of the the tour and the grind and paying for all these things, and you know, it, it, it's something it's something that's a different part of the sport that not everyone has a has an insight to. But now I have a little bit more thanks to you. You've played all the main draw slams. You made third round before. What's it like to cash a big check? Does it just go directly into your deposit? I mean, is it something that you see? Like, you know, Sloane Stevens last year at the U.S. Open, that was like one of the cutest moments of the year when she was making these crazy eyes at this, I don't know, she got over $3 million check. And she was just going crazy about this. And it was so genuine and honest from her. But you literally just cashed hundreds of thousands of dollars or a million or 50 grand, whatever it is. Like, that's something people don't see for a year in, in America. Like, a normal salary is, I think, under 50 so yeah absolutely I mean I, I will admit I mean even when I got my $20,000 check that was my first big check out of college and I was just so excited and for me I will say that I'm actually pretty financially shy when it comes to that so when I got my first check I seriously just took all that money and gave it to my financial advisor who happens to be my sister and I said, out of sight, out of mind. I don't want to know what you do with it. As long as you're making money and as long as I don't see it, I know that you're going to take care of it. And so that's what I try to live by, whether or not I go and get 100 grand, 50 grand, even $1,000. I try and go 80, the 80-20 rule. I can live off the 20%, but 80% of it is going to her. Yeah. I mean, it's very it's a smart way to go about it. I think a lot of players are doing that because they're all lasting years and years, you know, even even if they haven't made a, a third round in a while, people are still out there grinding. And and for context, so Irina lives in Lake Nona, Florida, which is where the USTA uh, national campus is. And then I live in New York City, which we made fun of a little bit already, but with high rent <laughs> and high costs and cockroaches occasionally. I don't have any. Um, and this, uh, New York City is the base of Tennis.com and Tennis Magazine, while obviously Irina is training in Orlando. And she actually is putting in and going to be buying and moving into her uh, her first house, um, which is huge. Very huge, very daunting. I will be a house owner, fingers crossed, in November. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm excited. Lake Noda is just coming up in the world. Let me tell you, they have a brand new tennis facility, obviously, hundred court facility, which just brings so many people from all over the the U.S. and and even the world. I have people from all over Europe and Australia that have come and actually seen the center. It's it's a fantastic place to visit. Whether or not you actually play tennis, it's actually pretty extraordinary to come down. And uh, right next door, we're actually going to have an Orlando soccer facility very similar to what is the tennis facility right next to it. And on top of that, KPMG is also building a huge facility where they're going to be training and working with their employees and they're going to have a hotel there and there's a town center that's coming that's going to be four million square feet and that's not going to be far from where the house is being built so there's a lot of stuff coming and you know hopefully elon musk gets his hyperloop going from orlando to miami and gets it set uh but i don't know about that we'll see about that (laughs) for the future um but yeah it's super exciting to see how much it's developed just last year there's so many things that weren't here before and i'm excited it's weird i live in a city that has no space for for anything and you live in a place that's being built from the ground up as you've been living there yeah 
I'm pretty excited. Just the other day, they had drywall in there, and it was just the coolest moment. It was just like, oh my gosh, it's actually becoming a house now. And the entire city is becoming a city, which is weird. It was just when I was there. I went there, I think, a year ago for shooting some videos um, with the USTA, and there was, I mean, kind of nothing, just courts and empty space, and you could see that they were building stuff. And I'm excited to come back and see see the progress and see how things have. I mean, there's some big time players also that live there. You know, there's all kinds of levels that are out there. Absolutely. I mean, I will say there was a Chipotle and Starbucks when you came, there so was. we were really we were really hitting it up with that and. Uh, you know, the Walmart came into play, the Sam's Club came into play, you know, high-end stuff here. Walmart in Florida is just a place everyone must experience. <laughs> and Chipotle, my favorite. Absolutely. We talked about the U.S. Open and how the first round is going to be getting, first round losers will be getting $54,000, which is something that most people probably make, or more than most people make per year. Um, and a lot of these players, or a few of these players actually, are going to be wild cards, junior players that won the U.S. Open last year, college players that won the NCAA titles, players that aren't maybe pro yet, but they're going to walk into the U.S. Open and be possibly given this check. How hard is it to say no to something like that? So that is the one thing I was going to say for people that don't know. If you are 15 or 16 years old and you go in there and you get your credential at U.S. Open because you got a main draw wild card, there's a little box that allows you to check whether or not you're professional or you're amateur. And to be able to give up $54,000 and check that little amateur box, I'm going to tell you right now, that's got to be tough. I know there's been several players that did it because they knew they wanted to keep their college eligibility. But I will say that a lot of girls and a lot of – I will say that a lot of players – have definitely changed their minds once they see that first round money. Yeah, I mean, imagine if they even win a round or two. I cannot, cannot imagine saying no to that kind of money. It just is, is beyond my scope. But there'll be a few players this year that will have to, and they'll have to make that decision. And it's interesting for us because both of us played Division One college tennis. Both of us played together. We played these ITF um, pro circuit tournaments in Mexico together as 15, 16, 17-year-olds and decided to go to college and play college tennis. Uh, I went to UCLA for, for a few years and Irina went to Georgia Tech for two before turning pro. Two years, correct. And how, I mean, obviously I know how she chose Georgia Tech, but how did you <laughs> decide to go to college versus, you know, we were both, we were, we were both trying to go pro at the time and both of us changed our minds, but how, how did you decide to, to choose Georgia Tech? So for those who don't know, I decided to visit Georgia Tech actually two years before I made my decision of going to college. And my coach that I was working with at the time wanted to show me pretty much, hey, look, this team just won the NCAAs. I want you to meet the coach. And I want this trip and I want this visit to help you in deciding whether or not you want to play professional or whether or not you want to go to college. So I met the coach, Brian Shelton at the time, who is now the men's coach at UF, and absolutely loved him. Uh, but at the end of the conversation, I pretty much told him, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I am leaning towards going pro, but if I were to go to school, it's going to be here. And I wasn't just saying that because I ended up going. Um, so I believe two years later, I was in Houston. I was... Uh, I was playing a $10,000 event, and I played a college player, 
and it was the weirdest score line. It was in the first round. I think it was 6-0-0-6-6-0. Called my mom, and I was like, what is life? I need to go to college. And she was always encouraging me to go to college, so she had no problem with my phone call. So I went ahead and... Uh, I wrote you actually, and I said, uh, "Hey, you know, does you, does UCLA have a spot? You know, maybe I could just go there. We can go to school together." And you end up telling me, "Well, Rebecca Marino is not going to Georgia Tech, so there's a spot available." I just sent an email to Brian and asked him if he had a spot, straight up. And uh, a month later, I was in Georgia Tech campus. Had never. Didn't know any of the girls on the team, had never really been on the campus, and I showed up with my Razor scooter to the courts, and the rest is history. The rest is history, indeed. You spent two years there and kind of dominated college. You know, this is obviously relevant right now because both Kevin Anderson and John Isner uh, were Wimbledon semifinalists. They both went to college. Anderson left for three years at Illinois, and Isner actually graduated after full four years at Georgia. So what did... Uh, college really give you as a player and as a person you had two years that's plenty of time to develop so my freshman year um, I'll go ahead and say that there is something there's really something to that whole freshman 15 thing because even though I was winning a lot of matches I was not in my most fittest uh, shape that I could possibly be and then my second year I kind of revved it up and uh, I went from I think a 30 and 12 record to a 40 and 3 record or something like that at the end of NCAAs on my sophomore year I I just kind of looked at my coach at the time I was like you know I I don't really know what there what else is there tell me where else can I go I, I you've developed me you've helped me so much but uh but I think it's time to really dive into the whole professional aspect of things. And the one thing I can take away the most from college was just the amount of matches that I played. I played so many matches and I just competed so much that when I went out and started playing professional, I was just like, I'm just going to continue playing matches. I have so many matches under my belt and that really helped me. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that a lot. I've interviewed a lot of uh, college players on the tour now that have spoken about you know, similar topics and how they needed those few years to develop and how they needed all those matches and how big going to college was. And then the decision to actually leave is obviously daunting, as daunting, I think, as choosing whether or not to go to college or pro. But there's a few players out there right now. You know, There's Danielle Collins. She graduated from Virginia. There's Jennifer Brady, who went to UCLA. Mackenzie McDonald. Steve Johnson is someone you know. He went to um, USC. And there's, 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 a, there's a few, but there isn't, I mean, it's obviously not the dominant amount of players on tour. Most of them choose, choose to go pro right away as, as young teenagers. Um, but it's a bit more of a risk. And then Steve Johnson, I, I think you guys played mixed doubles together at some point at the U.S. Open. He just won Newport, which is the second title of the year, and he's doing, he's doing really well. Yeah, he's going to be top 35. I think he's top 35 this week. So that was a phenomenal week for him. So happy for him. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see college players do well, especially the ones that, that have graduated. But then... If you don't graduate, so I went to UCLA, graduated from UCLA, and then I went to Missouri grad school, kind of just banked on the tennis thing for a while, did the grad assistant thing, a lot of good scholarship money went to, went to good use for me, but then for you, for you, um, you ended up finishing online while you were on tour, right? I did. Uh, WTA has a great relationship with Indiana University, and I was able to finish my degree, a business degree, with Indiana, actually, I believe 
two years ago. Yeah, it's a cool it's a cool thing that you can go to college and you know have the the option to leave but then the WTA offers an option to to finish the degree and have that that bachelor's degree to write on. I think Venus Williams also graduated from the same school, which is you guys are alumni together now. We sure are. That's an honor. Not <laughs> everyone can say that. No, no, we've shared the we've shared Arthur Ashe night session too. Not everyone can say that either. Yeah, definitely, definitely not a lot of people can say that either. The U.S. Open's coming up kind of soon, but there's a few tournaments before that. Um, a lot of players are going to be in Atlanta, and then there's a tournament in San Jose, there's D.C. I'm going to D.C. next week. Are you playing San Jose? I will be going to San Jose, yes. And for a tournament, when it's... just, I'm just kind of curious how this works. So it was in Stanford for the past few years, and you understood... The, the the routine of like you know where you stay you understood you know which airport to fly into the tournament director all that is kind of I guess routine and a lot less surprises when a tournament moves like this do they send you an email being like here's the new info what you need to know is there a fact sheet is there a login page where they spell it out for you so uh, that's a great question so we have a WTA website that's called WTA Player Zone. And so you can log in as a player, you can see your prize money, you can see your entries, you can see the calendar, visa letters, absolutely everything that you need to succeed on the WTA tour you can find on that website. And so once you find out that you're going to be participating in a tournament, you just go ahead and you click on fact sheets and it'll show you all the information that you need on that specific tournament. So I just went ahead and booked my flight a few weeks ago and I was able to send my hotel reservation. I was able to arrange for transport pickup. All that is taken care of thanks to all the information that was provided on the fact sheet. That's cool, sounds painless. Just a lot of traveling, a lot of, a lot of little details. To be honest, a lot of girls do have agents. A lot of girls just rely on either a family member, a friend, boyfriend, whatever it is, to just go ahead and book all that needs to be booked. But I'll go ahead and say I'm a control freak. I need to know that if I booked it, if I messed up, I know that it's on me. It's on nobody else. And the cool thing about the coming weeks is you're an American player. You'll be playing in front of an American crowd. And as someone who was at the MetLife Stadium watching Taylor Swift at a big crowd, I feel like the crowds <laughs> are a big part of, I mean, tennis is entertainment in a certain degree, not to that level. But crowds and fans and cheering is such a big part of these experiences, being in the crowd. And you, I don't know if you ever feel like a rock star, but surely at the U.S. Open you felt like a rock star on the Arthur Ashe Stadium. Okay. Well, it's funny you say that because one of the things that we actually had to bring up in a Team USA meeting and we spoke to Eric Buderek about was just that we don't have enough support from the fans. I have played many a times. Uh, thankfully, I am originally from New York, so I tend to have a lot of fans that I grew up with and played with and all that. But I have seen many a times an American player playing against a foreigner and you see more people cheering the foreigner on. And a lot of times, that just means that there are more foreign fans of that player's nationality. But we, as a group, had to tell the USTA and the USA, Team USA committee that we needed more support. Wow. Well, I'm pretty sure that Eric Buderak actually got hype men to cheer on American players wow. for the tournament. 
because he noticed it and uh, a few other people noticed it. Yeah, so if you if you just look carefully, you will see that there's going to be a lot more support for the American players. Wow. Which is I great no news. Yes. Which is great news. Obviously, you don't want to hear that fans aren't supporting your players, but yeah, I think I think the fan base is definitely getting bigger. That's good. That's good. I hope that our uh, our podcast fan base also gets bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because please, for all those listening, please uh, tell your friends, tell your wife, tell your kids, make sure that they listen. Because promise you, we have good insight. We have we have a lot more insight to come as well. This was our second episode of Inside Tennis, the Tennis dot com podcast, and we're just excited to kind of share our thoughts, especially Irina, who's on the WTA tour. And then I work with Tennis.com and Tennis Magazine, and we've been friends for so long, and we just want to share you know, our insights together with everyone, and we'll have more to come. You can follow along at our Twitter accounts, at Unipantic1, and then at Irina Falcone. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, on iTunes and SoundCloud. And you can leave comments and reviews and feedback, and if you have anything that you want us to cover or any questions, you can find us on Twitter. Thanks so much, you guys. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us. I promise we'll just keep it exciting and uh, we'll just keep talking about tennis. That's just what we do. That is what we do. Thanks, everyone. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.